It's not a matter, you know, it, it all comes down to a really good piece of advice that I learned a long time ago. It's never about being right. The millennial generation is as follows. Welcome to Surrounded by Idiots Radio Podcast. All right, so this is a new one, right? Uh, welcome to the Surrounded by Dates Radio Podcast. This is all millennial talk all the time. I am your host, Dr. Tony Dufresne, your online coach and millennial mentor. And uh, today is going to be a very interesting, let's see if we can get through this today, because I'm actually my special guest, guest and a half is what I'm going to call it, is Josh, and he's actually my son-in-law. And my grandson, who is now he's full through December, two months, two months, two months, two months old, Caleb. And uh, it, but it's so apropos that, that I'm doing the show with you now, and you're actually at home taking this week to watch Caleb. Uh, mm-hmm. while uh, Rach goes back to work and then you go back to work next week. But you guys kind of switched off yeah. uh, this last uh, uh, like couple weeks just, just to extend the time that one or both of you have with him before he goes into daycare. So, hey, Josh, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing well, and thanks for joining me this week. This is going to be really fun because uh, I, this is all about marriage. Mm-hmm. It's all about marriage and millennials <laughs> and the... The different roles, and then uh, so the first the first half of the show, I want to I'm going to go over some statistics from like uh, reputable places. No alternative facts on this show, <laughs> as uh, as much as somebody else would retweet uh, otherwise. And uh, and then the second thing is I'm, I just want to lob some questions at you because you guys are married, mm-hmm. you have two kids, we do, you now. are millennials, yep, and uh, so you are the perfect person to get feedback on this yeah happy to help good let me start by just saying that that that, um uh, for 70 years now the typical marriage age in the u.s has been steadily creeping towards 30 and in 2016 the median age uh at first marriage was 29 uh, for american men and 27 for women according to the national census data now for both genders that's two years older than in 2000 and more than seven years older compared to the 1950s. Does that surprise you? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, uh, I, I guess the question would be why, why is that happening? That's, and, and it, that would be a great question. Now, millennials, and I want to throw these out to you. Millennials still value the institution. They do based on research. The, you guys still value the institution of marriage. You guys did, most of you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, what's happening now, and the reason why they say, they say that this is happening is because uh, it doesn't fit into people's life plan. And the biggest thing that comes up into numerous research and numerous studies and, and talks and talk shows and whatnot is the financial thing. I, uh, to be honest with you, I find that very hard to believe that that uh, people are it, it, because of the finances and because of the loans, you don't get married. I don't. I don't see a correlation. I think people are pulling everybody's chain and using that as an excuse. What do you think about that? Uh, there could be a couple of reasons why there there's that fear. I mean, I think with the idea of marriage goes uh, hand in hand with that, like having a family, having a house, having more responsibility, more things to you got to keep track of, and that that might be part of the fear of like, well, I want to just take care of my stuff right now, and then and then when I'm when I'm uh, when I'm all set up and when I'm stable, then I want to go ahead and and make that step and that leap. But 
Um, but what would be the difference between doing that and just moving in with somebody or living with your girlfriend or being engaged or whatever the case may be? You're still going to have to handle your own stuff. It's that big label of the marriage. That's what. I, but you, get again, the, you have the wedding too, and I, but it, that doesn't have to be a big deal. And millennials are actually making that less of a big deal. And one thing I did just read, and I think it was in Forbes, was that uh, millennials are killing the diamond industry. Oh, yeah, because they're not buying them? No, because <laughs> they're smart. This is why I love your generation. I just love it because you guys don't buy into the bullshit as much. I say as much. Yeah. And in general, as the Gen Xers or the baby boomers or everybody that kind of started this consumer economic thing going, this machine. Yeah, the, it's a little rock to me, but I'm also a guy, so... Um, <laughs> and, and, and so am I. And I had this roundabout with with uh, Shannon, my ex, about it. And she she really wasn't that materialistic either, but she wanted something. And it's uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know. That comes. Uh, let's not go into yeah, that because that's, that's going to take me. Other. That's going to take me way off into another <laughs> gig. So, do you think that because a lot of you guys are still living with your parents? Do I think that's happening? No, or? no. Do you? It does. It is happening. Uh-huh. So, do you think that that? Is a is an excuse or a legit reason why people? It depends on what they're doing all day. It, right. d- it depends. I mean, if if you got if you got the person who's uh, who's going to school or maybe just starting out, getting that first job and trying to save up some money for a down payment on a car or a house or paying off some student loans, that's legit, you know. But if you're sitting around playing Xbox or taking advantage of of that um, situation, then that's a completely different. Different thing. Is that a legitimate excuse to not get married, though? No. Well, they, yeah, they, they're throwing that out that it's it, well, I'm at home, so I can't I can't get married. See, I, th- I just think that a lot of it is because it's an aversion thing. They're using all this stuff and they're using it as an excuse as an aversion to to get married, which we're going to get into. And I, I'd like to to circle back at the end of the show and kind of give my two cents on that. Okay. So in the Huffington Huffington Post, uh, in a um, in an article just came out and said in every state, the share of 20 to 34 year olds who have never been married has risen sharply. It's the same kind of gig that we're talking about. There is a quote in there and it says in the past marriage was about finding somebody to take care of you. And this is a woman uh, saying this is her, uh, her opinion. She says, I think millennials have started a new tradition that you need to have your own career. Marriage is more like a strategic alliance. That sounds like House of Cards. <laughs> right? That sounds like a big uh, Frank and Claire Underwood. It does, doesn't it? Strategy. Well, what do you think about that? Uh, what was it? What, what was the first part? Uh, the woman? It was, it, she said, she said uh, marriage is, uh, was, was about, used to be uh, finding about some- finding somebody to take care of you. Okay. And she thinks that millennials have started a new tradition where you don't, where you need to have your own career and it's more about a strategic alliance, which I'm assuming she's talking about two income, you know, household. Yeah. I, I mean, I could see that. That would, I guess that part of it makes sense to me because of that, what I was talking about earlier, having, going into a marriage and having these other financial responsibilities, you want to have a plan for that. If both people are on board with uh, having a plan like that, then that makes sense to me. But um, there's there's more to marriage than just that of the financial part of it. So uh, now I want to jump into some really really interesting facts about the history of marriage, and it, the reason being is I want to I want everybody to be on the same page and understanding really the reasons why people got married like way back when in the first place, mm-hmm. and how it's changed drastically uh, to what it is now. Okay. All right. So back in the day. 
Uh, marriage is a ancient institution that uh, predates recorded history, but early marriage was seen as a strategic alliance between families. Okay. So isn't that weird how that kind of is circling back? Yeah. Uh, keeping alliances within the family was also quite common too. So it was about alliances between families to create stronger tribes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But then also uh, they like to keep alliances within the family. And that's why cousin marriages remained very common throughout the world and particularly in the Middle East. In fact, uh, there was a Rutgers anthropologist that estimated that the majority of all marriages throughout the history were between first and second cousins. And you wonder why we have so many idiots. (laughs) To jump into the polygamy, monogamy thing, and I think a lot of people know this, but I have to state this. You know, monogamy, uh, being with one person, uh, may seem central to marriage now, which it is, typically. But uh, in fact, polygamy was common throughout history, up up until very recently, actually. Now, monogamy became the principle for Western marriages sometime between the 6th and the 9th centuries because there was a protracted battle between the Catholic Church, good old Catholic Church. You know, you knew that the, 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 the Catholic Church had something to do with all this bullshit, right? You, you got a thing You got a thing for that. Uh, you think? <laughs> uh, so there was a protracted battle between the Catholic Church and the old nobility and kings who wanted to say, I, I can't, I can take a second wife. So they were battling. And then the church prevailed, obviously, with monogamy coming central to the notion of marriage by the 9th century. But still, even though that was the case, monogamous marriage was very different then from the modern concept of the mutual fidelity between two people. Uh, actually, it was um, marriage was legally or sacramentally recognized between just one man and woman until the 19th century. But men had wide latitude to engage in extramarital affairs. No. The promiscuity was even protected by dual laws of legal monogamy by tolerance. So it wasn't really monogamy. Nah, well, for the, for the guys it was. Uh, and they, but Because women caught messing around, uh, by contrast, uh, faced serious risk and censure. So it's like the Scarlet Letter, which is that's what that's about. She had to wear the big A on her yeah. in Scarlet because she was apparently an adulteress. So. And then... Um, nice double standard there. Right, well, of course... Good thing that doesn't happen anymore. No, we don't have that anymore. No. So by about 250 years ago, the notion of love matches, this is, this is where the love thing comes in with marriage. Now, up, up until 250 years ago, love was not the guiding force in love matches and, and sexual attraction was not, N-O-T, the guiding force in a marriage. Not. Up until about 250 years ago, where the meaning of marriage was based on love and possibly sexual desire, but mutual attraction even then uh, wasn't important about a century ago. In fact, Victoria, England, many held that women didn't even have strong sexual urges at all. What were they doing all day? That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, we're here, so apparently they were getting it on somehow, yeah. some way, right? Something happened. Uh, so then around the world, uh, market economics came into play. And with that, uh, family arranged alliances given gave way to love matches because you didn't need to align the families anymore. It wasn't like an agrarian, like an agricultural economy where you needed more land to feed people and to survive. Mm-hmm. It became a market economy. And uh, so everybody transitioned from that agricultural to that economy. And um, what happened at that point in time was modern markets allowed women to play a greater economic role, which led to their greater independence. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. But still, marriage wasn't about equality, at the, even at that point, until about 
only about 50 years ago. Yeah, listen to this. And I didn't even know this. This was kind of a shocker. Now, at the time, uh, women and men had unique rights and responsibilities within the marriage. And we all know this, right? That's the traditional, you know, women in the kitchen and all that crap back in the day, right? In the U.S., marital rape was legal in many states until the 70s. Damn. 1970s. Legal. And women often couldn't even open up their own credit card in their own name. Wow. Which is interesting because I just saw an article and they had an old school, it was in uh, uh, Crackle, or no, I mean, it was on uh, Cracked, and it had an old school advertisement for MasterCard, which was used to be Master Charge, uh-huh. and they and it was a picture of a guy and his wife, and he said, um, this card is, is so protected, even your wife can't use it. Wow. <laughs> that, that was an ad, like a legit ad Holy back shit. in the 60s. By about 50 years ago, the notion that men and women had identical obligations within the marriage began to take root. Uh, instead of being about unique gender-based roles, uh, most this is when things started happening to where it is now. Uh, most partners conceived of their unions in terms of like flexible divisions of labor and companionship and mutual sexual attraction, which I think you what, got. What time period is this? Now? That, that's that's recently. That's like from fifty years ago to today. That's what that's the transition that's been happening. It's been a matter of a level of more equality in the household where there's a division of labor. Mm-hmm. And it's more of a teamwork type of a situation yeah. versus it being traditional roles. Woman's in the kitchen making the mac and cheese. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially with especially with uh, millennials, you guys tend to really turn your nose up on that stuff. Uh, I, I don't like the idea of that. No, and that's why I love being here right now and having this conversation right now with you because you took work off. You are watching the baby. I'm attempting to. He's uh, <laughs> man, <laughs> he's two doing, months is not. Nah, yeah, he's doing good though. He's, he's just, yeah. yeah. So I mean, but that's but that just goes to show you. I mean, there there's there's a and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in depth in like the second part of the show because mm-hmm. there's an article that I'm going to read to you that I think is complete bullshit when it comes to this stuff. So <laughs> okay, we'll talk um, about it. So I want one more thing in terms of the history part. I want to get to before we jump into that, and this is about gay marriage. And I found I found this pretty fascinating, but it makes a lot of sense. Changes in straight marriage uh, over the past 50 years in regards to the equality stuff has paved the way for gay marriage. Now, once marriage was not legally based on complementary gender-based roles, like, you know, the women in the kitchen take care of the kids, you know, once it wasn't based on that anymore so much, mm-hmm. then gay marriage seemed a more logical next step because it would be based on uh, somebody that you love, regardless mm-hmm. if they were man, woman, or a, you know, fence post. Now, one of the reasons for the rapid increase in acceptance of same-sex marriage is because heterosexuals have completely changed their notion of what marriage is between a man and a woman. We now believe it's based on love and mutual sexual attraction and equality and flexible division of labor. I agree. Yeah. So that's, I thought, but that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? So this takes us into the second part or last part. And I have to, oh man. So this this is an article that was sent to me by a an avid listener and a really good friend of mine and it was actually Mel uh, Melanie sent it oh, over okay. she's which she did a couple shows a little while ago yeah great article because it's so messed up I, I haven't seen this article this article I know that's why I want to read it to you yeah. because I want to get your organic natural reaction to this okay uh, I had a little discussion with her back and forth uh, on uh, on messenger about it when she sent it over <laughs> but I want to get yours so this is from money magazine it, they put it was in um, the January edition of money magazine and it's called the modern marriage trap and what to do about it 
It's so, a trap. Okay. It's, <laughs> clearly. So here, here we go. So, so it goes like this, and I'll, I'll paraphrase in certain places. I don't have to read everything. Uh, counter to stereotypes, it is men married to women who find the most happiness in matrimony. In fact, according to research, the average married woman is less happy than the average married man, less happy than single women, and less convinced that married people are happier than single people and more likely to file for divorce. Now, once they return to single life, women's happiness recovers, whereas men's declines and divorced women are less eager to remarry than divorced men. The response to um, this person's recent essay on money, uh, they say, is a hint to know uh, to know why. Uh, they uh, describe the thinking work that goes into marriage, like household maintenance and child care, work best described as intellectual and mental and emotional, uh, and reviewed some of the research that showed that women, married to men, do substantially more of this work than men. So... She's saying that based on her research, women are still doing more of this work. Which is why they're not happy. Which, which is this house. Yeah. And that's what it's going to get to. So it says the result is is an occupied mind. The result is an occupied mind of the women. And I mean this both in senses of the word. Women's minds are busy, distracted by the essential work of attending to needs of others. And because of this, they can feel like their minds are not truly their own. In comments across the internet, women responded to my conclusions that women are denied a lightness of mind with a resounding yes and an amen and a thank you, Lord Jesus, and exactly. <laughs> so you see where they're going here. They're, basically, they're saying we're still stuck in this stuff, right? So they, um, so what they're saying is that they're, uh, the chores are not really divided up evenly. Uh, they're not comparable in frequency because, you know, the guys have chores like uh, mowing the lawn. And so they're saying they're not equally and that many women feel responsible for everyday stuff like dinner and laundry and carpool and practices and lessons. Uh, so women's minds tend to be more relentlessly and unceasingly occupied oh, man. than men's. Yeah, this is in Money Magazine. This too. sounds like something from 1950. Right, exactly. Whatever. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking, what year was this written? Yeah. Uh, so this is says this is the challenge of equal sharing. Is most couples today don't plan for this asymmetry, so they don't plan for it. What they say is that eighty percent of women and seventy percent of men say they really want a relationship that's flexi- flu- with flexible gender boundaries and prefer sharing over specialization. Yeah, sure. Like you guys do. Yeah, you guys do a great job at that. We we try and you yeah, know, take turns doing things and yeah, it, 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 it teamwork. You know that. That's kind of what we... I don't know. Is it that tough? I mean, seriously. It's not that That's hard. what I'm saying. All right. <laughs> Apparently it is, compared, uh, according to this person here. So, uh, But it's not usually how things turn out, so she says. That's because there are forces external to couples that push them into asymmetrical real, uh, arrangements. One that ones that impact same sex as well as different sex couples. Like what? Uh, well, it, uh, this is called the the social dogmas on marriage, and the fact that she thinks that this really does ring in the ears of the that unconscious, um, instinctual aspect of what a marriage is. I mean, it's it's the it's the institution in a bad way. It's all the stuff that, that over the last 50 years that we've been battling out of, mm-hmm. it's a thing like, well, you're the woman you're supposed to be in, you know, cooking food and taking care of the kids, all that bullshit. So that's what they're saying. They're saying that we're, we're trapped by this dogma still, which I don't agree with. I mean, some people are, but overall more people are becoming more awake. It says most, most workplaces, for example, still operate According to a 1950s housewife breadwinner model, 
they um, these assume workers have a wife at home, and work has a way of pulling men out of the family. They're saying that's what happens. They're saying every day. They're saying right most workplaces still operate according to the 1950s housewife breadwinner model. So then they say uh, most spouses can't afford to work part time jobs, uh, especially nowadays. And I get that uh, they may though be able to afford one income. They may be able to a choice made more economically feasible by employers providing health care and all that. Well, yeah, good luck with that. Uh, the cost of childcare, though, as you know. Uh, presses some families to leave one person at home because it actually saves them money. Now, you guys did the math on that. We did, and that was not in our favor. And it was not in your favor. And and the reason why, I mean, it's pretty easy to know the reasons why, especially for millennials. You guys haven't ascended to the ranks of making the kind of scratch that one person needs to make nowadays. Because literally, and I, I don't know, this is, it's all contextual. It's all based upon where you're at. But you got to make... You got to make upwards of probably a hundred k, right, to support, or you know, at least like seventy, eighty, yeah, depending depending upon you know where you're at to make it worth having one person stay home, right, and then to and then to support a family of maybe two kids or yeah. three kids or something. No, we yeah, we did the math on it, and it wasn't. You're right. We were just starting out. We just graduated. I I think I was an intern at the place I was working at, and Rachel was getting her master's, and then when she got her her teaching gig. You know, I had moved up a little bit, like as in I'm not an intern anymore, but mm-hmm. still we like, we didn't have nowhere near the the capability of having me stay home or having her stay home. And we're still doing it now, even mm-hmm. though we've, we've kind of had a, a year or two or whatever it is of building the, our early careers. We're still not in the position where it makes sense right now. Hell no. And there's no, not even an expectation that you should be. No. And, I mean, for, from anybody, because you're just not, you guys, it takes a while. Yeah, to get ramped up and to get whether you're in the system or you're doing an entrepreneurial gig or whatever the case may be, it still takes a while. Yeah, you know, once you jump out, so it's you know, I just yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, so they say as a result, this is where they're all getting to on this whole thing. They say as a result of these dynamics, couples often find themselves at a crossroads. They planned for a shared division of labor, but they have a hard time making the idea into reality. It says seventy percent of men want to revert to traditional gender roles, and faced with that option, nearly seventy-five percent of women want a divorce. <laughs> wow! First of all, where do they get these numbers? I, yeah. Is this is this is this from Sean Spicer's uh, podium? There. Uh, so it says uh, the lesson is there are forces bigger than each of us. Oh God, I hate this. Uh, bigger than our partnerships and bigger than our marriage itself. They shape how our lives turn out, whether we like it or not. And the advice is clear. We need to talk to our spouses and potential spouses about our ideal plans and our backup plans. All marriages will face struggles because it's a genuine challenge to juggle work and homework and child care. But we can ensure that the struggles we face don't create a sudden and surprising degree of conflict if we know what we're up against and plan ahead. She's making it sound like it's some supernatural okay. so, just voodoo that's out to get your marriage. And it's not... the what, what, At the last part of that about marriages are going to face challenges, yeah, but the whole, like, the whole binding thing that keeps that marriage together is the communication part of that, not this battling the supernatural outside forces that... <laughs> 
You want to hear my response? Yeah, go ahead. All right, here's my, here's my response. I had to write it out because I was so pissed. You must have been heated. Dude, I was a, fired the fuck up. That's a pretty meaty response, dude. I'm fired up. That. I was okay. fired up. Okay. I said, it really is the subconscious social programming and the instinctual forces that guide us into certain roles. Now, two things jump out at me uh, with the article. I think it's more about the women's identity struggle while being enmeshed in the typical marriage setting that uh, leads to the underlying tension. But that can be addressed by working on self-awareness and communication skills. Also, it comes down to a relationship level of awareness for both partners to recognize when their life doesn't feel like it's providing the level of fulfillment that's expected. Sure. Again, that's where communication comes in. Yeah. And lastly, as you know, I'm not a fan of the old school institution of marriage for marriage's sake. I think buying into that societal dogma as a person that lives outside of that reality for some people who just don't, you know, don't click with it is a huge mistake and will always lead to one wanting to get the hell out. Uh, I'm sick of people playing the victim card because of their own choices. There will come a day when people will be much more empowered to live the life of their choosing instead of buying into outdated social constructs that do not apply to them. Mm-hmm. This whole this whole adage of a, this supernatural force is a bunch of baloney because the the supernatural force that they're talking about is just uh, a, is the societal structure. Uh, that people buy into, whether consciously or unconsciously, they're buying into it. It's not their own particular choice. It's what they think it should be, and that that just shows. I I hate that because that because there is a there's always a way to become more aware of that, especially when you come up against a crisis in a really important relationship of yours. Are you mean? Are you, you're meaning to tell me that you don't? If you're having a really heated discussion where the fact that you guys are at a point where you feel as though it just can't work anymore and this is not working, and that 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 you don't understand that you might be caught up in this whole thing and you might be seeing things through the eyes of this institution. Versus seeing it in the eyes of the or the perspective of being in your own relationship with this one person in front of you and you guys dealing with your own stuff in a custom way Mm -hmm. based on your own context. Is it that tough to do that? I for us, I don't think so. I I don't know where that where that idea comes from. Is is do you think it's because that uh, that's what grandma and grandpa's marriages were yeah that's and, exactly why i think that's that the case. idea yeah. got tr- you know trickles down from to our parents and then now to us and but that's the that's the social construct but some, that that's always the case and that's just not that's not just with marriage that's with everything yeah, though yeah but the thing is and the one thing that i've that i've seen through millennials and the people that i've coached and i've that i've talked to is that you guys more than way more than my generation uh have the ability to see past it yeah see above it, rise above it and understand it's not about all those social constructs and those social norms and what people did before me. Just because it's worked in the past doesn't mean it works for me. Exactly. Or for the, the two. Uh, exactly. You know, for, for us, I should say yeah. in, in, in the context of, yeah. Well, uh, not me uh, and you, but you know, no, no, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Relationship wise. Uh, it doesn't matter. It matters on what you guys sitting down and this, this could go for just a solid, relationship too, like mm-hmm. a significant other it doesn't have to be a marriage thing yeah. at all this could even go for brothers and sisters or your relationship your adult relationship with your parents mm-hmm. 
go like you know for anything it's it's a matter of understanding that that all the stuff that's happened and all the trends and all the norms that have happened throughout the the ages as you can tell just because I talked about it in terms of the history of marriage. Marriage used to be something totally different, and now it's something totally right. different. So you're trying; people are trying to plant their flag in these gender norm roles of back in the '50s, thinking that that's how it's supposed to be. I mean, it wasn't like that 50 years before that. No. So that's why you know the bottom line for me is you got to wake up. You got. I mean, there's there's no excuse. There's zero excuse for playing the whole victim of circumstance. Or I'm a guy, so I shouldn't be watching the baby while my you know while my wife goes back to work. Yeah, that's uh, a little ignorant. That's completely ignorant. That's why that's why it's great to have you here and to have Caleb here to show that this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. For us, I mean, me and Rachel, we we've tried. Uh, you know. We continuously are working on our relationship every day, trying to make it better. And I'm really thankful to have her with that great communication because that, that's the only way that we are, are making ourselves and our family unit stronger. And it, I don't know. I mean, our relationship, the between me and her is what we put first to try and have that good example for our kids. And whether that means that I watch him or help out with this or do that or she, there's no role really assigned to that. It's just more about what's best for our family and, and us two coming up with that plan together. I think, or I mean, that's how our, our gig kind of works out. And it's been really, it's been really nice, you know, having that supportive person to uh, bounce things back up, back and forth with, and then ultimately, you know, be, be strong, make a strong decision together with. And you guys have seen, uh, you guys have a lot of friends that are in the same boat you are. It seems like for some reason all the all you guys are drinking the same water and you all got pregnant at the same time. So with with that being said, you are around a lot of examples of mm-hmm. fa- of a new family of millennials of couples, new millennial couples. Do you see a wide variety? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you see any trends? Mo- more people doing it like you guys, or more gen, or do you see people slipping back into that thing? Mm, each couple is a little bit different because they their situation is a lot different than ours. But I've seen uh, the guy, the guy being the breadwinner, and the wife stays home, takes care of the kid. I've seen the girl, the the, the wife making a bunch of money, and then the guy hanging back home with the kid. Um, I don't know. It's kind of a, a widespread. I don't know if there's a trend on it that I've seen. So out of those, out of those that you know, and out of those that you know that you think are rock solid, or you know, I mean, you can only know so much, but you know because of just how they relate with each other and how they parent. Mm-hmm. Do you see a commonality between them and you? I mean, what's the what's the secret sauce on the on the uh, relationship burger when mm-hmm. it comes to that? I uh, I'll keep bringing it up. I mean, communication with, with that person. It's nice when, when both people are, um, are really, uh, what's the word? I mean, like not secure, but are really like in tune with themselves and being, having that for yourself, uh, makes it that much better to have both people on that same, just level with themselves. And that makes the relationship between the two that much better. But, um, yeah, communication really does communication make it easier easier uh <laughs> that's a trap question what do you mean by that yeah well, actually I, I it's rhetorical no it doesn't obviously but it makes it more fulfilling and it makes it better so that which is kind of a 
dissemination between easier and better. Because with communication, you come out with your own particular opinion on stuff. And depending upon what ha- what's happening, a lot of times the other person might not be open to it. Uh, it also involves active listening in regards to you sometimes having to... I don't know. Take one for the team. <laughs> yeah. Which which we all should do. It's not a matter. You know, it, it all comes down to a really good piece of advice that I learned a long time ago. It's never about being right. No, no. It, it's just not. It's just not about you get into an you get into an argument or a discussion and it's not about throwing a bunch of facts out. And you could be like dead on fa- factual wise. The argument's not coming from that the, the facts set in terms of you trying to prove your point. The argument's coming from something else. It's coming from a some level of disagreement between you two or their or your energies aren't matching up for some reason or another. So it's a matter of taking a step back and letting the other person say all their stuff and giving them the space to say it. And then one of the better tips I learned is don't immediately respond. Because if you immediately respond, then they just get back on their heels again. Give it a little time to settle in. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times they'll kick back in and start saying stuff. But what happens is, and actually it's uh, statistic research wise, you don't start, especially with women, because uh, women like to speak emotionally just right off the top of their mind. And a lot of times it takes a few minutes to get into really what the what the problem is. Yeah, uh, because they don't know because it's because it's such an emotional overload. Um, that, uh, and it's not just women, it's men too, but I'm just from a man's perspective, that's kind of where I'm coming from. So it's a matter of giving them the chance to vent out and then to maybe, you know, take, cause it's, it, they actually said it takes about four or five minutes to really get to the point, uh, to start to get to the point. Mm-hmm. So if you allow them that time to do that, then you can finally get down to really the reasons why you're, you're, it has nothing to do with your kids playing with knives because she knows that they're not supposed to be playing with knives, but maybe it's about you trying to tell her what to do and she already knows what to do. So she feels like a bad mom, that type of a I thing. See, yeah. And so it, it could, it, then, there's I, always I'm, another issue. Yeah. And I want to see, I want to understand that point of view from her and that that's where that, that's where the conversation has to take place because if, if, if she's upset or whatever, like, I don't, I don't know what's going on up there. And I have to, I have to really just sit and listen and, and be able to fully understand because yeah, I, I suck at decoding that, that crap. We all do Brant man. I mean, that's just the way that it is. I'm, you know, wired to fix things. Yeah. And when she's telling me, you know, uh, I, I don't feel good. Then I'm like, well, take some fucking medicine. Right, right, <laughs> it's, not, exactly. it's not about that. It's, it's no, about, it's not uh, understanding why, you know, why she's feeling that way, what's going on. And I don't know that that's the key for us at least. It is the key and it's a good way to end this. So, uh, thanks Josh. I really appreciate it. Caleb, you rocked man. He's, now, now he's just crashed. Milk coma, he's, right? He's total, total milk coma. I love milk comas. I just don't have enough of them nowadays. <laughs> So uh, remember, it's uh, javabud.com. You can go on there. You can get all the podcasts. I've got videos. You know all the, you know the routine already. This is the like the 75th show. I don't have to go through this shit again. So you can go there also on uh, Instagram and Twitter and all that fun stuff. If you do happen to go to the website, I do have a new freebie up there. And you just got to go in and click on there and throw your email in there. And you can get the freebie, which is seven proven phrases to like instantly bring more 
happiness, money. happiness, love, and money into your life. Yeah. yeah. And it's actually a little excerpt, uh, a little guide that I made uh, based upon an ebook that I wrote. As a matter of fact, if you go in there, you have a bonus freebie too, and I actually included the entire ebook. Oh, okay. Nice. So go go to javabud.com and you can get that as well as I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes um, on, on my site. So if you go into that, so I hope everything's good. Hope you're well. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. Bye.